Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. When we started Excess Returns, our goal was to take the insights of the best investors we know and to make them accessible for your average investor. When we conclude each of our interviews, we ask one question that we think best achieves that goal. We ask each of our guests to distill the lessons of their careers into one essential insight that all of us can learn from. We do that by asking one question. Based on your experience in the markets, if you could teach one lesson to your average investor, what would that be? Since we started asking the question, we received some great answers that when compiled together offer a masterclass in how all of us can become better investors over time. In this episode, we have compiled our favorite answers from our most popular guests for the first half of 2022. Here are the top 10 lessons so far this year that our guests would teach your average investor. All of us tend to overcomplicate investing. We want to beat the market. We want to invest in the strategy that can produce the big returns. But the reality is successful investing is much simpler than that. Steve Forrester spoke to some of the greatest investors of all time for his book, In the Pursuit of the Perfect Portfolio. The stories, voices, and the key insights of the pioneers who shape the way we invest, including Jack Bogle, Jeremy Siegel, Harry Markowitz, and he distilled the key lessons he learned down to four key levers investors can pull. He highlighted them for us here. So I think this this really came from a number of uh, the the luminaries. And the, the, the key piece of advice is to really understand that we all have simply just four levers that are available. The first one is the target size of your financial goals. So we can think big or we can think medium size, but it all starts with what those financial goals are. So we can adjust that as well, but we have to use that as a starting point. That's a lever that that we have, what kind of lifestyle we want to have in in retirement. Uh, Do we want to own a cottage or, or not? These types of things. Secondly is is how much do you have and how much are you willing to contribute regularly to your savings and investing? This doesn't happen magically. Uh, Back to this whole notion of of discipline. Um, There are strategies of paying yourself first and and making that investment be a 10% of of whatever your income might be. Um, But really thinking hard about how much you're willing to contribute to your savings. And again, that's, uh, that's up to you, whether it's whether it's 2%, whether it's 10%, whether it's 15%. The third is the length of time you have to achieving your, your goals. We might all want it by tomorrow. We might all want to retire by age 50 and, and realistically that might not happen. So that time until you achieve these, these goals is, is really going to be up to you. And obviously the longer that it is, then the more achievable it is. And the final one is the expected return you're going to get on your savings. If you are going to put 100% of your investments in treasury bills, you're going to have a much lower expected return than if you put 100% of your investments in uh, in equities. And, and so if we think of the first three of those elements, the size of your financial goals, 
the willingness for you to invest on a regular basis and the length of time that you have. Once we take those three into account, then the expected return should fall out of that. And that expected return will then determine what your perfect portfolio is. Is it more heavily weighted to equities or is it more heavily weighted to safer assets? So if, if you think in terms of those four levers, and really those are, those are all the levers that, that, that we have, that should help you to uh, determine what your own perfect portfolio is going to look like. Alpha Architect founder Wes Gray also shared some simple principles with us that all investors should keep in mind. That one's actually pretty easy. I would just say know what you own, even if it's like delegated through an investment advisor. Like I, I think it's always a bad idea when the client's just like, oh, you're the investment guy, deal with it. I think fundamentally you have to know what you own, period. And then the second one is do whatever you can to keep the fees and the taxes to a minimum. Right? If you just do those two things, know what you actually own and why, I should add that, and then keep your fees and taxes to a minimum, it's all good. Um, and as far as investment philosophy, it's also simple. Buy cheap stuff, buy strong stuff, and follow trends. Like, you know, I could do it in one sentence. Um, so investing is frankly pretty simple. It's just people always, you know, they don't follow the basic rules for some reason, it's, it's crazy to me, but uh, in theory, it's easy, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, Doesn't have to be overcomplicated. A lot of times simple is obviously, uh, you know, can be better. No, 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 exactly. Simple is beautiful. And, and that's, why the, that's why there is beauty in like Vanguard in, in the sense that at least people can understand what they know. The fees are very low, the taxes are very low through the ETF wrapper. So it's, it frankly, it, it abides my, by my basic guidance there because it's, because they can check those two boxes, which is probably the most important boxes uh, most people should have. Those of us who are fundamental investors tend to think that fundamentals drive stock prices. We tend to think that Ben Graham's weighing machine will win out in the long run relative to the short-term voting machine. But the true answer is a little more complicated than that. And ultimately buyers and sellers are what drives markets. Kai Volatility founder, Jem Krasan made this point in our interview with him. So we talked a lot about dealer positioning already. I think that's the biggest takeaway, right? That's part of why people kind of follow me and are interested in, in, in kind of what we're, uh, we're talking about. But at the other day, like I mentioned, that's one part of one critically important thing. The only thing, which is supply and demand. I think so many people just lose sight of that simple little thing. How many buyers are there? And how many sellers are there? We obfuscate this by thinking about second order factors like fundamentals. Fundamentals matter. The cash flow corporation is part of that supply and demand, but we lose sight of how many buyers versus sellers are there ultimately. We should never, ever lose sight of it. And I guess my corollary to that, and what I'll leave you with outside of that is liquidity. That word is everything. Liquidity can mean the thing that spurs demand and that creates enough liquidity to keep it going. It can also mean the removal of it, right? Is there isn't enough demand or there's not enough money to go around. But it's also important to think about when you're trading and you're positioning, how liquid you are and how liquid the things you're investing. Um, ultimately, it doesn't matter how much demand there is today or tomorrow, 
for something that won't ultimately have liquidity at some point. doesn't matter what its earnings are if it doesn't have access to markets. That's true in the option space as well. That's true, true in derivatives and everywhere. When you invest in something or you put a trade on, you better believe liquidity. You better have been in a position of strong liquidity, particularly in a period like this. There's a reason the name, the, the word long-term is in uh, long-term capital management. Uh, I can't stress this enough. Long-term capital management blew up because they were short puts that were long dated against things that are short. They were short illiquid things versus things that were liquid. If you position yourself in a place of illiquidity, particularly, particularly as a period of a lack of liquidity in a leptocurtic market with fat tails, which is what we're in right now, um, you will ultimately lose. And no matter how good the bet looks, no matter how, um, you know, uh, cheap something may seem, uh, you will be in a position of illiquid lack of buyers versus sellers. And when you get to that point of a lack of, uh, you know, uh, buyers versus sellers, and you're on the wrong side of that, you will lose a lot of money. So never lose sight of supply and demand. Always understand your liquidity uh, point and always think of it in terms of, of, of the amount of money um, that is uh, available at any given moment to, to, to fund supply and demand. Jack Schwager has interviewed some of the best traders of all time for his Market Wizards books. So when we spoke to him, we couldn't just ask him for one lesson. Instead, we asked him about some of the most successful traders he has interviewed and asked him for a lesson from each of them. To wrap it up, we usually have a standard closing question, which is, um, you know, we like to ask our guest if they could teach one lesson or impart one piece of wisdom for your average investor, what would that be? But I, what we thought we would do is kind of spin this a little bit. And what I wanted you to um, uh, do, or what I want to ask you is, I want to list some of these great investors you've, and great traders you've, you've spoken with, and maybe if you could remember or think back to the greatest lesson you learned from each of them. So some of these are going to go back to the original, but there's, there's just five or six of them here. So we'll kind of do this quick. So uh, starting with Paul Tudor Jones. Yeah, uh, well, uh... But let's say they'll take the first thing that comes to my mind. Uh, Paul basically believes that you should look at your portfolio like you just put everything on that day. You know, it, you know, it's, don't get too complacent because oh, I've got this position and I'm I'm well ahead. I don't have to worry about it. you know what's that kind of thing. Question is, if you just put this position on it today, would you be comfortable with it, or would you be comfortable with with it where your risk point is? You know. So having that mentality of not getting complacent uh, and viewing every position, not how is it since you put it on, but how is it, how does it look today? You know, would I want this position at this price with my risk point today? So that's what I, I would say is, you know, one main lesson I can remember from, from Paul Tudor Jones. Joel Greenblatt. Oh, it, don't, you know, I, we actually, the first, I, maybe the first thing I think of, because I mentioned it before is don't swing at every pitch, mm -hmm. um, and, uh, just worth the right, but, but also because you guys are value investing, so let's go here. Um, he, uh, he had this, I asked that it was interesting. He developed this methodology and it kind of put the markets based on a value approach into the most attractive to the least attractive. And, um. 
And, you know, told me how effective it was that, that it actually, you know, that when he tried it, that, that they came out in exactly the same, that's not water or whatever. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Uh, I said, yeah, I understand why you invest in the top decile. Well, wouldn't it be better to invest in the top decile and sell the lowest decile and then have a, you know, balanced, you know, a neutral market in your portfolio, then you get even better return risk, wouldn't you? And he said, it's a great idea, except you would go broke, you would go broke doing that. And his point was that there are years where it's exactly reversed. You're your lowest decile, like 99, your lowest decile goes extremely well and your top decile goes. So it's not like they hedge each other. It's like you, you've actually have a, you have a, like a, a leverage bet and, and, uh, you can get wiped out where normally you wouldn't. So that, but he said, there's things that when he value rest of get this right. He said, there's, there's three things, uh, about value, uh, value investing. I want to get this right. Uh, he said, value investing works. That's rule number one. Rule number two is value investing doesn't work all the time. Mm -hmm. And rule number three is rule number two is while rule number one works. <laughs> right. Well, that's mm -hmm. what I remember. Greenblatt can uh, kind of capture those, the essence of, of those things very well. Um, what about Steve, Steve Cohen? Yeah, Steve Cohen, yeah. So yeah, so Steve Cohen, I thought talking about trading losses. I said, you know, well, yeah, about how do you get out? I said, well, what do you do? What is a position you have all on it? You just undecided. You're not sure if it's just a short-term move against you or you're wrong. And he says, if he's ever in a situation where he's not sure, first thing he does is cut in half. And if he's still unsure in a while later, he cuts it in half again. He says, you know what? Before too long, you don't have a problem anymore. And, and it's a great piece of advice. It really is stupendous piece of advice in my opinion, because a lot of people become frozen. They can't decide. You know, hey, I get out here. I'm going to sell right at the bottom, and then the market's going to reverse, and and or I hold on. It's just going to keep on going, and they they think like there's just a choice of holding everything or selling everything, and they have a problem realizing that you have a continuum of choices. You could hold anything between zero and 100 percent. You don't have to have a zero or 100, and the decision between zero and 100 is very difficult, but. So one thing to that piece of advice where you're uncertain, you know, get out of some, get out of something, just, just get out of something and, and, uh, and then reevaluate it. So that's a, that's a, as a, a good general principle is not to do everything at one time, you know, uh, to, and it works for scaling into positions, scaling out of positions when you're undecided, um, it's breaking, breaking trades into components as opposed to just doing everything hundred percent one way or the other. That's a really great piece of advice. Michael Steinhardt. I would go variant perception. So, which I think is the word that if I remember correctly, was her he used and he's always looking for a situation where he saw something that was different with the way the conventional interpretation. So he says his big trades always came where he was able to see something that for well-defined reasons where he thought the general view was wrong for this reason. He had a varied perception and being able to identify those are where his big trades were. Investors often want to take the easy way out. They don't want to do the work. And even when they do do the work, they often lack the conviction to stay the course when times get tough. Gary Antonacci talked about the importance of combining, doing the work and having conviction in his interview with us. I heard this 
from someone describing a philosophy of life they have uh, in terms of you know, their, their life journey. And that would be uh, investigate carefully, choose widely, wisely, and follow faithfully. So I'd say the same thing applies to investing. Do your homework, you know, do as much research as you can to satisfy yourself that what you have makes sense and that it's uh, something that you can stick with and not lose confidence in. And then uh, go with it, you know, uh, don't be shy. You know, I get, I come across people all the time who say, well, I just want to stick my toe in the water and see how it, how it does for six months or whatever. And that's not the right attitude. You know, anything could happen six months or a year or two years, whatever. What you need to do is do your homework, do the research. Be sure that what you have makes a lot of sense, then commit to it and then stick with it until you have some good reason for changing your mind. So many investors today are focusing on trying to beat the markets. They look at the public markets as a source of alpha, but Epsilon Theory founder Ben Hunt reminded us that we might be looking in the wrong place for our alpha. So, yeah, I've, I've, I've thought about this a lot, actually, since our last call, because I, I figured you were going to ask me this. And the, 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 the one, to boil it all down to one thing, it's to understand that markets are a political utility and that, you know, there's this old story that, you know, traveler comes in this old West town and he sees these guys playing poker and he sees that the dealer is obviously cheating. And he talks to one of the players later and says, well, what, what are you, what are you doing? You know, the guy's cheating. And the guy says, yeah, I know, but it's the only game in town. All right. The stock market, the public market, it's not the only game in town that we should be trying to connect our investments with the real not the casino, not the stories that are told to us. We can play with it, right? And I think you can, as you're invested in market, if you're going to be an investor, you're looking just to harvest the political utility nature of markets. You're just trying to harvest the beta. But if you're trying to find alpha, you're trying to make an investment, you want to make money, you find something that's real, that's close to you, and where you're not being told a story. That's the that that's the advice I've got. It, you know, you know what it's actually like. It's, it's like the old Peter Lynch. You remember Peter Lynch, right? Where he always said, you know, what do we what what do we do at you know Magellan? Are we, you know, we 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 really invest in 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 real in real companies? And I don't know. Maybe that was possible for Peter Lynch, you know, back in I don't know 1978. I don't know. Maybe that was possible for him. It's not possible today, not in public markets. You want something real, you want to invest, invest in your own company, your own self, you know, invest in something that you can understand. Uh, and that doesn't exist in public markets today. I'm not saying get out, you use them for their political utility nature, you harvest the beta, you stick it in a drawer and you forget about it. But you want to be an investor, you want to do research, you want to, you want to try to make alpha, it's got to be in something real, it's got to be something close to you. I don't think you can find that in public markets today. That's the one thing I'd, I'd put, try to put across.
Simplify ETF's Mike Green also picked up on the insights of Ben Hunt and his answer to our closing question. He reminded all of us to be skeptical of what is presented to us and to ask one simple question. Well, the, the one thing that I would highlight to people, and, and it's a phrase that I use all the time, is why are you reading this now? Right? It's a variant of Ben Hunt's narrative dynamics, right? which is why are you suddenly being treated to this information today? Because it's not being, you know, the, the news is not being sold to you for your benefit. It's being sold to you for the benefit of somebody else, right? Whether it's to sell advertising dollars, whether it's to place propaganda, whether it's to engender loyalty to a particular news organization, et cetera. Why are you receiving this information now? And I would by and large highlight that a lot of the information that we're receiving right now is designed to effectively cause people to go into a frantic, um, uh, type of behavior where they're saying, oh my God, abortion rights are going away, or oh my God, you know, all the kids are going to die, or oh my God, like I, I have to do what my party, what my tribal affiliation tells me I have to do. The more effective you are at removing the emotional component and the, the panic that is associated with the narrative that is being thrown at you, right? Ben Hunt very successfully uses things like Bitcoin and, you know, exclamation points, right? The more effective you are at saying, why am I being told this? Why am I being sold this piece of information? The better you're going to be at critically evaluating that information that's presented to you. And I, I would just encourage people that much of the information that we're being provided with today is designed to engender a response. It's designed to engender tribal loyalty. You have to do this, otherwise you can't be part of the tribe because clearly people who don't do this are part of another tribe. We're all members of the human race. We're all here to benefit in a collective sense as well, at the same time that we're trying to succeed on an individual sense. And so just try to take a little bit of a deep breath and look at what's going on around you and be maybe more calm in the assessment of, of what your response should be. You might not think that taking naps or being Rip Van Winkle would make you a great investor, and it might leave you well behind those that spend all day focusing on the market's ups and downs, but Cambria founder Med Faber explains why that actually might be the optimal approach. There's a quote we've been using lately, despite all the amount of time we spend talking about the future and forecasting and things people should think about, I think um, the quote is, um, for most investors, it's better to be uh, Rip, Van, Rip Van Winkle than Nostradamus. Meaning, you know, what does everyone on CNBC do all day? They like predicting what's going to happen with Google earnings or the price of wheat or what the Fed's going to do and is gold a good part of your portfolio? Like all these things everyone stresses about. But in reality, like coming up with a portfolio particularly with public markets, like I want that sucker to be on autopilot. I don't ever want to think about my public market investments ever. Like let that thing were in the background, little robot MEB 2000 and just be done with it. And, um, also like I see my cash account as like my investment account as a cash account, but it just kind of like hums in the background. And that's why some of these platforms like Betterment, I think are, are pretty great. Vanguard has one too. Um, but essentially this concept of like, put it in there invest as much as you can where you're happy and comfortable with it and, and let it just happen in the background and forget about it and spend zero time, particularly in public markets and macro going back to, by the way, it's startups. One of the biggest benefits of the startups is, uh, investing is it's the most optimistic thing in the world, Like you spend all day like, oh my God, these amazing ideas, these life-changing technologies, these impassioned founders, 
And then you turn on CNBC, it's just like, ah, you know, they're just like bombarded with negativity and wars and pandemics, just like barf. Like it's just, it's so tough. So to me, uh, spend less time on the like negativity and forecasting and future prediction business, which is impossible and more on like, Hey, I'm going to save, put it over here. And it doesn't matter what you own. I mean, it does, but, but it matters more that you save and invest in the first place. This concept, this ownership mentality, uh, I think is, is important. So, so be Rip, Rip Van Winkle. I like to sleep. I like to take naps. As investors, we like to think we know the answers. We like to think that we can use the past to predict the future, but it is important to inject humility into the investing process and build a portfolio that is robust to different future outcomes. Adam Butler made this point to us. Yeah. I mean, it would be diversify, right? It would be, it would be, it would be, be humble about what you know and what you can know. And, um, don't be over-reliant on what you observed in the past. The past is one, one sample draw from an infinite variety of potential sample draws that we might, we might get in the future in terms of combinations of, um, inflation growth, geopolitical risk, supply demand dynamics, technological shocks, et cetera. And the future is probably going to look quite a bit different from the past. And so the, the best way to prepare for the unknown is to, to diversify. So I think that would be my, my core message. To close things out, we wanted to share one lesson that might be the most universal of any we have covered on the podcast. And that lesson is to learn. All of us make mistakes. What separates those who achieve investing success from those who don't is not avoiding mistakes, but rather learning from them. Upholdings founder, Robert Cantwell, explains this idea. You guys asked me this in advance and I tried to cycle through like a hundred different ways to answer it. Um, all, all I'll say is that it, it, investing, it, it's like any professional discipline. Uh, whether you're a, a professional athlete or a professional poker player or you know, a, a professional you know, utility repairman, there's a hundred different things that you happen to be doing correctly you know, when you've achieved, you know, call it the, the top echelon you know, within, your, within, your, within your professionalism. And investing is no different. Um, you know, I, I, I've been investing now for uh, almost 18 years, and there's mistakes that I made in the first seven years that are very difficult to think back upon. But each one of them built little sort of muscles and awareness and um, uh, tools you know, that I've been carrying with me. And so I, th I think the, uh, it helps you stay humble as an investor to look back and know how many mistakes you've made. You're gonna keep making an enormous amount of mistakes in the future. And so the only thing that you can control is every single time you make a mistake or a bigger mistake, what is the thing that you've learned? You need to take the time to reflect on what you need to learn from that or something you need to change in your process to at least remove the potential of that mistake to come back again because you're going to make a new one coming up. So that's what I would recommend from a process development standpoint. Thanks again to all the guests who have come on Excess Returns and to all of our followers who have learned all of these lessons right alongside with us. We look forward to getting some more great answers to this question to share with you in the future. See you next time.